Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is God's word. We're spending several weeks during Advent season looking at themes of hope that are tucked into really well-known Christmas carols. Today, we sang the carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It was a poem penned by the New England poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, for all, uh, he, he had quite an impressive uh, career and life. Uh, I guess this is the, the most well-known of his writings. There's an interesting story behind it. He wrote it on Christmas Day. In 1863. Actually, that begins this way. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this, of course, refers to those words that were sung by the angel band to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. When Jesus Christ was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, by the way, Frank Sinatra recorded a great version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's set to a different tune, different, different harmonic progression. It is really good. Just saying. <laughs> While we, and these guys sounded great today. Thank you for that. It's great to have a full sound. Speaking of Frank Sinatra, I really think that, you know, he, listening to Frank Sinatra at Christmas time, listening to Bing Crosby and Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole at Christmas time, it's just, just pure Americana, isn't it? Just kind of gives you the warm fuzzies, just makes you melt. I, I love it. And, and, and our, our Christmas culture, I don't mean Christianity. I mean, American Christmas culture is very powerful. 
it, it gives us about four weeks out of the year to forget our troubles. Like it's kind of we're given permission for about a month every year to just enjoy cookies and presents and, and hear, hear, hear these people sing to us on the radio and watch these old classic movies and just kind of forget what's going on in the world and, and just enjoy ourselves. If grumpy old James Kahn in the movie Elf can start singing, then, then surely any of us can kind of just forget about our troubles, enjoy some eggnog, if you like eggnog, and just kind of hope for, hope for a better next year. But in 1863, on Christmas Day, Henry Wadsworth, I cannot say it, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, on Christmas Day in 1863, Longfellow was not thinking like that. He was the father of five. He was in his mid-50s. He had five children, and he was a recent widower. His wife had died in 1861, leaving him with five children. The oldest name was Charlie. He was 18 years old. He enlisted in the Union Army. So Longfellow was dealing with, like all Americans of his day, uh, the traumatic humanitarian crisis and political uncertainty of the Civil War on that Christmas. It was months after the Battle of Gettysburg. He was also enduring his own trauma and grief. His son, Charlie, had been severely wounded in battle and would no longer fight. Uh, he was recovering from a bullet wound that had nearly call, caused him permanent paralysis. I had said his wife had died in 1861. Uh, she had died in a fire. She had accidentally lit herself on fire. And Longfellow tried to save his wife by smothering her and putting the fire out. She died the next day. And he was so severely burned that he couldn't attend her funeral. And when you see pictures of him later in his life with a big shaggy beard, it's because the burns so scarred his face that he could no longer shave. So on 1863, on Christmas Day, Longfellow, like so many people then and today, and maybe even like you this year, was struggling to find meaning. On Christmas. And so the poem had two stanzas that he wrote that we no longer sing. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So the sound of Bing Crosby's soothing voice and the taste of your family's traditional Christmas cookies cannot erase your losses, can they? And he went on to sing, and in despair I bowed my head. This is not just figurative. He was bowing his head on Christmas Day in despair, trying to make sense of his life. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so 150 years later, the hate is still strong. Would you agree? 
Despite our tremendous progress, the hate is strong. And uh, cultural conflict persists. Racial and class conflicts and political derision, it still persists. Powerful men still, as we've seen in the news uh, for the last several weeks, powerful men still abuse women and children. Some of you have had a very difficult year. So peace on earth, peace among us, peace in me, really? But the existence of trouble does not muffle or dampen the Christian message. The fact that life is hard does not negate the Christmas message. Rather, trouble supports the Christmas message and begs that it be told and begs that, like bells, the Christmas story and the Christmas truth continues to ring out. The hope of Advent, the coming of the Lord, the hope of Advent is greater than our worst despair. Our trouble is real. I'm not trying to minimize anything you're going through or anything you have gone through. Trouble is real, but other things are real. Other things are real and older than trouble. And I want to talk to you about two of those today. The justice of God and the love of God. And I'm going to highlight two truths that Isaiah's prophecy reveal about the Christmas message. And the first is this, that Jesus doesn't get discouraged or tired by what he sees in the world. The Lord said through the prophet in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant. He's talking about his Messiah that would come. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And later it says, He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth And the coastlands wait for his law. So the Bible teaches us that Jesus' justice will prevail. That by his justice, Jesus will eliminate hate and hurt when he returns. That Jesus, in his justice, will reckon with every act, every person, and every institution that has caused harm and has not repented of it. And Jesus, in his justice, will comfort and heal and restore everyone that hopes in him. Now, you and I get tired and frustrated and discouraged when we see what's going on in the world. We don't have the kind of patience and forbearance that the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 42 is said to have. We actually, uh, we should be concerned and grieved and discouraged by what we see in the world, but, but it grieves us to the point of outrage and despair. Like George Bailey, here's another guy on Christmas who is struggling to find meaning with his life. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, he can't see that he has a really wonderful life. Some Potter, Mr. Potter tells him, you're worth more dead than you are alive. Now, that was nonsense, but in despair, George believed it, and he considered taking his own life. He couldn't see 
George Bailey couldn't see what Longfellow in his poem was struggling to remember and to recognize. George Bailey was, spiritually speaking, nearsighted, okay? Which is what we are when we lose hope by what we see in the world. Spiritually nearsighted, unable to see beyond and reflect upon what is beyond our own trouble. What is beyond what we see and what we hear in our immediate setting or in our own personal story and history. Being spiritually nearsighted. A similar sentiment is expressed in the U2 song, When I Look at the World. And it goes like this. It's actually a prayer of confession to Jesus. When there's all kinds of chaos and everyone is walking lame, you don't even blink now, do you? Or even look away. So I try to be like you, try to feel it like you do, but without you, it's no use. I can't see what you see when I look at the world. So when you lose hope, when you get, I mean, really discouraged to the point of being depressed, you must broaden your vision. You must see beyond yourself. And you broaden your vision in some very simple ways. You read the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah. You read them and, and, and you remember God's promises through his prophets of all that he would accomplish in the world. And then you read the Gospels in the New Testament. And you see how Jesus fulfilled in part many of those promises God had made. And then you keep reading and you read the the letters in the New Testament and you see how when Jesus returns, he will fulfill completely all of God's promises. All of them. Advent is about both comings. Advent's not just about the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation, but Advent is about the parousia, the second coming of Jesus. And here's... Here's a way to begin, because look, if anything, the Christmas message and and singing these Christmas carols, if anything, they remind remind us of God's promises. And that's where we start when we're spiritually nearsighted and we're discouraged to the point of despair and depression and rage. You start singing Christmas carols and you consider the Christmas message and you remember God's promises. And how Jesus fulfilled them in part when he came. And how he's going to bring them to full completion when he returns. And here's where, is a simple way that you can begin. The first thing to remember is this. That God's justice impacts everybody. Even you. You know, we complain and grieve about injustice in the world. And we should. But do you grieve over the injustice in you? Have you considered that the greatest injustice has not been committed against the weak and the helpless, against the unborn, against children and women and those who are slaves and those who are minorities? Have you ever considered that there is a greater injustice that takes place every day? It's It's the rebellious attitude that we hold in our heart and in our actions And in our words against our creator, when we speak and act and plan and work 
and argue and fight and give up in a way that dishonors him. It is hypocritically inconsistent to rage about the injustice you see in the world and ignore the own depravity in your soul. God's justice must begin with you, my friends. You must be broken over the injustice you commit in your soul against your creator and how that spills out into how you speak to one another and and, and the sins we commit against each other. It's why David the king, after he had broken every commandment in the book, said in Psalm 51 to the Lord, against you alone have I sinned. God's justice must begin with you. Jesus' justice will reckon with you also. Unless you are willing to submit to the second truth that Isaiah reveals. The second Christmas truth I want to share is not only do we learn in Isaiah about the justice of Jesus, but the love of Christ. And here's the second truth I want to share with you. Jesus has a heart. Is he a God of justice? Yes. And that's a good thing. But Jesus has a heart for bruised people, which means that if you're hurting, he has a heart for you. What what did the Lord say in Isaiah 42? He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. That just means Jesus is not going to be a cantankerous, litigious person demanding his own rights. He said, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So Jesus is full of justice, but Jesus is a gentle person who sympathizes with the weak and those who are hurting. Will you admit that you're a hurting person? Will you admit that you hurt? Will you admit that you have suffered loss? Will you admit that you are broken? That you're not as lovable and not as impressive as people might think you are? Maybe people know that, and that's the problem. Are you willing to admit that you're broken? If you are, then you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to love. I invite you to consider that when Jesus came, he came for you. Make Christmas personal. That when the baby, God incarnate, lay in a manger, he was there. As a poor baby, as a political refugee, he was there for you specifically. That that gift of God with us was for you. God's justice doesn't destroy the people he loves. It heals them. And when you know you are loved, you can endure anything. The hope of Advent is brighter than our darkest despair. And so you have these, these two truths at Christmas time. You have the justice of God and the love of God seen in a manger. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God's justice and God's love invaded humanity, invaded human history. So peace 
Peace comes by faith. When you admit to two life-changing things. First, that God's justice will one day end all injustice. And second, God's love will save you from his justice. So peace on earth is impossible without Jesus. It's not going to happen until he comes back. But it will happen when he comes back. But peace in you, peace in me, peace among us on whom his love rests, that's possible right now. Peace on earth, you're going to have to wait for Jesus to come back. Peace in you absolutely can happen right now. Because God is just and he's coming back to deal with the horror and with the hate. And his love for you saves you from his justice. So by faith, we sing and echo the final verse of that poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for this poem. Uh, it's amazing how uh, a literary genius, a celebrity in his own day, is most remembered by this little thing that he penned on a holiday because he was just trying to get through the day. How amazing it is that you work. Your ways are far beyond ours. And we trust and admit what you two said, that without you, we cannot comprehend and process what we see happening in the world. So we ask our Father that you would give us through faith the eyes of Jesus. When we look at oppression, when we look at hurt, when we look at injustice out there in the world, in the news, but also in our lives, what's done to us and what we do to each other, we ask for the eyes of Jesus to regard one another as he regards us. To wait for him to bring justice. And in the meantime, to know peace because he is going to do that. We thank you and we ask that this hope that is greater than our darkest despair would be with us now and throughout this Advent season and prepare us uh, to carry us through uh, the next year. In the name of Jesus, we sing and praise you. Amen.